Storie libere presents? I was not really excited. I don't know why now that I think back. Maybe because I, I know from my own previous experience to have been a, a positive experience in New York, was, I would say really a lovely experience in the state. But still I had enough uh, contact with my American friend and lawyer. So I understood enough uh, of America to know that you have to really play by the role. I don't know why I had this feeling. So even when Rajneesh suggested that many of us could marry an, um, an American, you know, so to get so-called a green part, meaning a resident permit, I thought, yeah, and maybe work out for a dozen, 10, 20, but few thousand. Diksha has followed the Guru's directives and arrived in America. But the first perplexities begin to arise in her. She's not fully convinced by the assurances of Sheila and Bhagwan, and has chosen from among her helpers almost only disciples of American nationality. The group melts down some gold belonging to the commune to make heavy bracelets that everyone wears as they pass through customs. Meanwhile, back in Pune, none of the disciples know that their Indian adventure will soon come to an end. I'm Roberta Lippi and I write for a living. I've written for print media, TV, radio, online, and finally with voice, two podcasts for Storie Libere. Soli and love bombing. In the past years, I've had an epiphany that led me to telling those stories, which today led into the one I'm about to share with you, a long confession, or perhaps what we should more simply call a report of events, events that only a few people know about, and which from today, you will know about too. This is Dragon Lady. The Last Witness. Diksha has moved to New Jersey, to what the Sanyazis call the castle, the American foothold before Bagwan's move to his new land. It is a beautiful early 1900s house that the Chidvila Sarajnij Meditation Center in Montclair was able to purchase through a loan. But there is a bunch of work to be done. It needs to be cleaned, and the rooms, especially those of Bhagwan and Vivek, need to be made ready according to his requirements. Diksha and her team are working tirelessly to prepare for his arrival. The watchword for this new American adventure will indeed be work. Those who are not prepared to donate their labor to the community will not have access to the promised land. And we work like maniac, literally 18 hours a day, jet lagging. And I see this as maybe the, the, the hardest couple of weeks of my life, very hard. So we managed to do his room, Vivek's room, a few rooms for him. And then the other, we did it even after he arrived. And I, of course, we are, ourselves slept in, in that house. Bhagwan's stated reason for entering the United States is that he needs medical attention. It is no secret that the guru's health has always been quite precarious. He suffers from diabetes and many intolerances and allergies, and lately he has been having back problems. So we had uh, installed like an electric uh, chair lifter that he didn't use, only a very small group of people, including Diksha, go to greet Osho at the airport, while the other disciples wait for him at the castle. They must try to be inconspicuous, since already when the first Sanyazins arrived in New Jersey, the immigration officers had asked many questions because of their strange orange, or rather red, attire. So for the American adventure, the clothes change color to include darker hues. Osho is arriving in first class on a Pan Am flight, with him only Sheila, Vivek, Divaraj, his doctor, and a few others. 
Bhagwan's laundress writes in her memoirs that Sheila managed to antagonize the entire crew with her inappropriate jokes. When the plane lands, everybody, including Sheila and Vivek, have to go through immigration to process their paperwork. But they have requested permission for him to remain on board because of his health problems. Then they let me go inside the aeroplane and I went to the first class upstairs and I stayed with him while Vivek and Sheila left and went down to, you know, to process their own paper. And for him, they came up as a special favor and, uh, and I was there. And this is the first time actually that I heard them say, Mr. Chandramal, Jain, and I remember I was kind of surprised. And then he said, yeah, and then they talked to him, said, you know, they had his passport and his uh, tourist visa. So he came down, he was looking around as he was greeting a crowd, but there was nobody there. It was only me behind him, because Sheila already was waiting outside in the car. And going to the airport and seeing how he was joining his hand, you know, that the Indian namaste, almost greeting everybody, while everybody was uh, going about their business, totally indifferent to him. People would glance at him and not give him a second glance. You know, New York, you know, in New York, you, uh, New York is New York. I remember that I was kind of surprised myself uh, that people were not showing more deference, you know, because I was still, of course, enthralled by him. I did find it kind of disturbing and surprising that people would not fall on his feet in a way, almost, you know. But nobody did fall on his feet. There was uh, maybe the first time that I saw him public without deference, without uh, his entourage. It was only me and him in that moment. And I had a moment of, yeah, a moment of awakening maybe. When we were alone on the plane, waiting for, you know, for the immigration to come, and I and him was alone, maybe, I don't know, five, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and he talked, uh, he said, so I think I'm going, Dixie's, everything is good, you did good so fast, you know, he was praising me. But even then, I, I, you know, I, I already had, something had cracked in me. Because what I, what I find disturbing was almost his presumptuousness. Bhagwan gets off the plane without much trouble despite his supposed back problems. And this long-awaited arrival creates the first perplexities in Diksha. Something instinctive. Something that does not add up. And perhaps the event awakens a certain bewilderment in Bhagwan as well. How is it possible that no one pays due attention to him? To him, such an important and revered spiritual master. Soon after we arrived, he started to uh, wanting different kind of clothes. He wanted clothes uh, that would reflect, uh, in a way, the image that he wanted. And he said that he wanted to look like a, a foreign dignitary. Yeah, like a rich uh, head of state in a way, like a manager coming to visit. You know. he, he wanted to uh, appear more important. And this was one of the reasons, even at the castle, when uh, we were just a small group and then Rajneesh Bhagwan went uh, for his drive, the Chila uh, and and me, we had to tell people that, that when he was leaving his room, everybody had to stop and that they had to bow and welcome him when he went to his drive, when he came back from his drive. But I never saw him as really like a spoiled child, like I, I saw him at the castle. At the castle, I saw him, of course, I saw him through a period of several weeks, and so it was a process of disenchantment from my side. It didn't happen in one day. But yeah, even with his clothes, uh, and uh, of course, uh, the fact that he wanted a Rolls Royce, and, and then the fact that he wanted another Rolls Royce with a different color. I was shocked to see that he could spend, um, I don't know, half an hour, an hour on, on a Rolls Royce catalog. You know, 
first he wanted a, a Rolls Royce and Sheila uh, ordered a Rolls Royce almost right away because his Rolls Royce had not arrived yet, you know, that there was a Rolls Royce in India that then they shipped it. But uh, so, and he wanted a Rolls Royce. And so we, Sheila managed to, you know, to, to buy this Rolls Royce. And he liked it, but almost the two days later, he wanted, I don't remember if it was exactly the same Royce, but one similar, but with a different interior. I remember that I got really bored because he was like a child and I would repeat, no. And then he said, find out a combination of color of interiors. And I went back and I remember that I got the information and went back to him maybe the same day or the day after. And he will ask the same question. And I would say, no, you know, if the beige interior only come with the blue car, or they, they could make it. So I, I saw him in that particular instant for the first time uh, as a petulant child. And at the same time, we were working 14 hours a day because there were more people wanting to come to the castle, needed to come to the castle as a stop to go to the commune behind the garage that we made into small room. So for the people to come. And we were like squeezed like sardine, like usually people share, I don't know, three in a room. And so we were busy getting that together while he was choosing a color and which interior does it come in leather or petty detail, I consider at the time. And I remember that particular day where Sheila and not order the Rolls-Royce, despite everything. It's not that we were swimming in gold. You know, Sheila was spending half of her time calling the center, people with money say, Bhagwan is in America, this is, please don't tell everybody, this is a secret, but we need money because he may have to have a back operation. They were trying to, you know, gather money day and night, and he wanted another Rolls Royce, and we had, and Sheila not order. And it's in that particular event that he called us. Diksha and Sheila are summoned. The master sees them often, together or apart, but this time he wants his message to reach them both loud and clear. He said that if we could not provide that this body had some uh, non-negotiable requirement and that he was remaining the body just uh, out of uh, compassion for his disciple, but that it was nothing that was keeping him tied to his body. What we consider is toy, you know, what we consider is toy, car, or were actually requirement for him to remain tied to his body. And uh, if we could not uh, provide that, then it would be better for him to leave his body. And Sheila, when he said that, she burst into tears and said, no, we will, of course, we love you. I'm sorry, you know, I'm trying my best, you know. And so Sheila burst into tears and I felt angry inside me. I felt angry and I felt, I spent 10 years of my life, I, I give you most of my money, you know, my best year of my life, and now you are blackmailing me that if you don't get a Royce with the right color, with the right uh, interior, you will kill yourself. I mean, I felt really, uh, I was kind of upset. And I remember that he turned to me kind of disappointed because he had, he had Sheila and his feet crying. And yeah, I was sitting there and he was dead serious. He was angry when he called us because the, he had, the car had not come that he wanted. He was angry. He said, one thing that you have to have to be very clear that uh, to both of you is that uh, there's no reason for me to remain in the body. You may see this are toys, but actually they are the tie that keep me tied to this planet. And I think I most probably, I must have rolled my eyes. And he dismissed it. Sheila was crying, said, no, no, back when of course we will do everything that you need. I'm so sorry, you know, I didn't, you know, so. And then when we went out of the room, she was very 
kind of uh, freaked out, you know, yes, we have to do this, you understand. Um, and I was uh, feeling differently. I felt, uh, oh, wow, this, is, uh, this man is not what I thought he was. Because I felt it was manipulative, it was cruel, it was sadistic in a way. And it's the first time that I heard him say that he would commit suicide. At that time, he said that he already had talked with his private doctor and that they already worked out how it would happen, that it will, it will be with a, a tranquilizer and then a muscle relaxant and then a sleeping pill and something else so that, so that his heart will stop. And he went over exactly how it will happen and he said also that anyhow that is that will happen out of his own choice. That's, he said then. But then he dismissed us, like he kind of coldly, because we had displeased him by not bringing him another Royce and a well velvet pillow. And that's why he got his 93. Lakshmi has also arrived at the castle, but she remains in the shadow. She has not been able to close any deals for the new ashram in India, and it is clear that it's Sheila, assisted by Diksha, who Osho is banking on to run the new community, especially because of their American experience. But Diksha, full of doubts about the issue of arranged marriages and more, has already convinced Sheila to seek advice from a lawyer she knows in New York. So I convinced Sheila as soon as she arrived that I dragged her to see this lawyer and we talked to, to him several times and what came out was that uh, it, it could not happen the way we had taught. It could not happen. He told us in no uncertain term that if we went ahead with what we were planning, he said to me and Sheila, you will go to jail. He said, you know, if you go ahead with what you are planning to do, you know, finding a land, having people, false marriage, uh, and all that, you will go to jail. It will be a question of time. He said it to us in 81. I give you three, four years, but you will go to jail. And Sheila said, but we are disciples. We are following. He's our guru. We would say we were just following our guru. And he said, yes, <laughs> with almost a smile on his face. Yes, but it doesn't hold in a court of law. In a court of law, you will be judged according to the law of the state, and you will get to jail. And, but he said that, of course, you know, there will be attenuating circumstances. If you can say you have been brainwashed. He said it like this without even realizing that he was giving Sheila what, you know. And she said, oh, okay, but we could prove. She said, yeah, I said, but you don't have any proof. If you have proof that he really, in a way, you were under his undue influence, you maybe will get a reduced sentence, but you will still go to jail. So it was the day that Sheila came up with the idea that she wanted to tape him. So it didn't happen at the, at the ranch. At the ranch, she put it into, in place. But at the castle in New Jersey in 81, she already said, you know, we could tape him, so at least we can prove it. So she, it was at the time that she suggested that we should carry, when we go to certain meeting that we know, a small tape recorder that is like activated. And I... Uh, refused. I said, no, sure, that's a crazy idea. You know, we should explain to him that this is not uh, possible. And after I talked with the lawyer, I really realized, but this is, you know, I, I'm not willing to go to jail for him. Yet, there are other things that Bhagwan, who has said that his name means Lord of the Full Moon or Lord of the Night, wants to explain to the two women in preparation for this new American adventure. For example, how to use certain tactics to manipulate people. It was a, a process. One night, particularly, he said that he mentioned, and I will teach you the greatest heart of all, with the heart of maneuvering people. 
If you know this heart, you can do people to do what you want, what you need them. You didn't say what you want, what you need them to do. And I remember that I was disturbed because he said things that I, that I even felt were dangerous, things that I didn't know, that were above my pay grade, like they say in America. He said that first you always have to accuse your enemy to what you do to them. So as you do something to them, you have to accuse them to do that, that they are doing this to you. Because the, the average person is so shocked to be accused of what uh, he or she is receiving that in that moment of being shocked will appear guilty because it will be a loss to uh, rebut, uh, you know, the fact that actually I'm slapping you and I'm accusing you to slap. So he said that. You have to learn how to lie to other people by believing a lie. So as you say something, you have to, inside yourself, finish the phrase. This is hard for me to explain. Let's say, you ask me, did you have chocolate today? And I will say inside me, no, I didn't have chocolate at two o'clock. So that you deny you didn't have chocolate at two o'clock. So you can say, no. And inside you say, you know that you didn't have chocolate at two o'clock. So I can actually affirm it or vice versa. And that's why you pose in a way. He said to Sheila, you pause, you take time, and then you finish. He trained Sheila, he built Sheila, he made Sheila. I'm not saying that uh, Sheila is uh, innocent, neither that Sheila is guilty. Sheila is Sheila, like, uh, you know, we are human, we have shortcoming, but he did build, he did build Sheila. He gave her the tools, uh, he nourish her, in a sense, uh, of course, ego, arrogance. Uh, he formed her in a way that she could play the right role for him. Of course, he was a very good mind reader, even when he told us that even, you know, one of the secrets uh, to many people is to find out uh, that every person has a price. And you have to find out what, is the price for that particular person. And he said, it's not true that everybody sold themselves for money or fame or, or, I don't know, sex. No. For somebody, it can be something minor that will be necessary for them to sell them. He said that the first rule, the first uh, thing to know is that the greatest majority of people don't know the price first. Second, that the people that think they know the price is not the real price. Third, when you find their price, they sell themselves for a much lower price that they pride themselves that they will sell themselves for. And he will give examples. Ah, for instance, you know, you know, so and so. She, for her, she's just happy to wash my clothes. You know, that's his her role. For somebody else, it will be just happy to just water the, the plant outside my window. For somebody else, it's to be important, to be useful, to be... He will give, give for example, of people that clearly he had given them their prize for them to remain with him. Anyone listening to these words can understand Diksha's shock and also my difficulty in commenting on these suggestions. Those who regard Osho as a teacher should consider that these were also his teachings. But what was the purpose of these instructions? Perhaps only to form a community of devotees who would treat him as a deity, even when he remained silent. I'd like to share something that was quite meaningful for me. When he started talking about maneuvering people, he also added something about the buffer, buffering. He explained that, for instance, that Lakshmi had been um, an excellent buffer from Bombay to Pune. 
and that uh, he wanted uh, me and Sheila to uh, understand that the important for him to be buffer from the people outside is in a circle that we were supposed to create like a um, a circle of protection around him so that people would not know really if the directive came from him or from us despite that we were doing his job, certain things that we would have to implement, yes, we will say they come from him, but at the same time, that we will absorb the negative energy from the other disciple. And he explained that because the community will become bigger and bigger, that I too needed to create around me a circle of um, assistant, have a few people who would help me in my work and protect me from the negative energy. He said, unlike in India, where I was, uh, in a sense, out there, I was exposed, I was used as a, I was a whip for people to surrender, he said that this phase for me should end and I also should work in a way creating a protective circle. They say the same way that you and Sheila will be my buffer, you too, you will have to have some people that buffer you from the negative energy that will come your way. The master imparts these concepts to his students and he does so while observing their reactions and behavior. Diksha remembers when Sheila became angry with another disciple who was assigned the task of washing her car, because she was doing it while keeping the car radio on, and Sheila didn't want it to drain her battery. He said, uh, I understand that uh, maybe it was right. It didn't contradict us. I understand that it was right, that it would have been better for this woman not to have the radio on when she was cleaning your car. But uh, it was wrong for you to go and talk to her directly. You also, Sheila, have to surround, you to have to surround to people who will implement your order, but will protect you from the immediate reaction of the person that you are, in a way, reprimanding or yelling. And he went on to explain about the importance of creating layer of separation and that only your inner circle, you know, our own, would know what's going on. And they themselves, we have other people that will be their assistant so that they will be the one convey the order, you know. And he went at length to explain the importance to not appear in a way angry in front of somebody. I mean, to react in a way that the other person can feel that something is wrong with you in a way. Just as when he said that to unbalance an opponent, you have to accuse them of doing what you are doing to them, he now gives Sheila the tools to manipulate people, including his own disciples. But these are two very different people. Sheila and Diksha, the former ready to do anything to ingratiate herself with a master and maintain the power she has just gained, the latter in a state of sudden alertness and apprehension about these new aspects that it seems she did not realize before. Sheila learned quite fast when we were in the United States how to get from him the yes that she wanted or from a certain question. Like, for instance, there was a couple of cases where she particularly didn't like that person. Usually the people that she didn't like were people that had been with him during the Bombay time, that there was a, a jealousy, uh, obvious, even in the way she was talking to me about Vivek. And other people, usually they were mostly women. And uh, she targeted particularly. And so when 
few of these people were in New York with us. They were at the house in, in New York. And uh, for instance, something happened with one person that she did something that nothing, something petty now, if I think back, but gave Sheila the excuse to go to Rajneesh and say, and by the way, this happened. And so-and-so did so, and this is not right. Uh, she's slacking off. She's not pulling her weight. She's not working hard. Uh, and so the group was small. I mean, we were by then, were we 30 maybe, 35? But, you know, there was a lot of work. And this person was maybe easygoing, uh, was a young woman. I would not say lazy, but, you know, taking it easy. And Rajneesh liked that person. But the way Sheila said it, making this person looking really like she had done something not really participating in the work every day, he said, mm, okay, I understand, uh, Sheila. So you tell her that... Uh, this is our, you know, the beginning of a new community and we, we have to work hard. And if this is not possible for her and if she wants to go and spend some time with some friend or with her family, but if she wants to remain, she really has to, you know, work as hard as everybody else. So Sheila, when we came out of the room, was kind of happy. And when she called the woman, this girl... She didn't say that. She just simply say, Bhagwan think it is time for you to leave. At the time we have our boat desk were in the same room. So I overheard that and it bothered me so much that I went to talk to him behind her back. This was one of two, three cases where I heard that if she didn't like the people, she would manipulate him in a way, maneuver, so that she could push them out. And she did too with Lakshmi. She would say, I was talking with somebody and Lakshmi came to the office, we're talking at the castle, and she challenged my authority. You know, like I'm the new secretary. So Bhagwan said, oh no, you, I will tell Lakshmi that when you, she should not interfere. So I noticed that. And so I went to tell him, by the way, uh, Sheila, not always convey your message accurately. So Rajneesh called me back and said, go and tell Sheila to come. So Sheila arrived and she right away understood that something was wrong. Rajneesh said, Sheila, Diksha told me, with me in front, uh, Diksha told me that uh, that there's maybe some misunderstanding and that you are not conveying my message uh, fully. And so when he said that, so Sheila otherwise started crying, saying, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, I must have uh, uh, misunderstood, I'm so tired, I'm working so hard. So she burst into tears at Mozart command, and he said, no, I understand, he touch her head, but you have to ask Diksha forgiveness. She's here, she remembers, it was correct, so you made a mistake. Whatever connection I had with Sheila, in a way, was done, because Sheila was so angry. He had to stand up and bow to me, you know, like the Indian way that you have to go on your knees, you have to spread yourself and say, I'm sorry, yes, uh, I, you know, it was wrong of me. And I think she had to do it three times. And then he said, I know that you have been lover for many lifetime, you know, you have to learn to work together. This is just a lover quarrel. And he dismissed it. And as we left the room, the moment we closed the door of his room behind us, Sheila turned to me and said, I will never forgive you. And I could see that this was the nail in the coffin of our connection, of our friendship. Because in a, in a sense, it's true, I did betray her because I felt that she was going on a path that was not right. Because I've been in the room in Bombay and even once in Bhumpun at the beginning, when Rajneesh 
told Lakshmi certain thing. And Lakshmi used to make note. And then she said outside exactly what they had said. She didn't even change nothing. Somebody that he said, this person, you know, should change the work, is not right. She would go to the press, she said, you are not right for this job. Exactly, exactly. And I happened two, three times, and I was surprised of her capacity. I even asked her. Lakshmi is amazing. You know? And she said, because when uh, Bhagwan talked, Lakshmi is not there. So I knew the difference from, you know, seeing how... Lakshmi behave and how Sheila behave. Of course, whatever he told her to do, it, she did. But if there was certain thing that was to her advantage, or if she had some antipathies or dislike for somebody, then clearly she took some liberty. I asked Diksha if she ever got an idea as to why Ashok put her in that situation with Sheila if this was perhaps not also somehow part of a process of manipulation. Affirming is authority in a way. There was a feeling of that to me. And uh, yeah, I think it, it was uh, the carrot and the whip. It reinforced his position towards Sheila because I remember that Sheila was afraid, you know, because he said, um, you know, a couple of times, the time with the when he wanted the other Rolls Royce, and of course Sheila didn't have the money to buy it. And in this case, in a couple other cases, he almost implied if you cannot do the job properly, then you will be replaced. Yes, I have power and everything, but it always depends if he likes you in that position or not. And if he had to throw me under the train eh, to reinforce the position, of course, uh, because I was disposable like everybody else. You know, he was in charge. When Rajneesh acted angry, he was not a pretty side. He was really kind of, I will say, terrifying, kind of stern, and suddenly his tone of voice changed. And so, yeah, I would say he was kind of scary. It never happened to me that he was really angry to me personally, but I saw how he acted a couple of times when he would say, no, there's people, you know, they're not right, they have to put in their place, you know. Nobody wanted to be at the mercy of Osho, Rajneesh, anger. Even in lecture, when some people made questions and he made jokes or he, he was making fun of them, he sometimes his answer were humiliating to the person. All the crowd was laughing. Some, some people make maybe simplistic question in Pune. And everybody was kind of happy that they had not asked the question. Meanwhile in Pune, things are not going so well. There are several people who are very unhappy that the guru left like that. And of course this information is given to Sheila by Savita and Vidya who have remained in Pune to carry on the transition, and she, in turns, brings it to Rajneesh. It is on that occasion that Diksha finds herself witnessing a conversation she wishes she had never heard. There's a small incident that becomes something big. The issue was that Sheila was reporting to him how things in Pune were happening. And of course, some of the Indian sannyasi were disappointed that they left, or there was some issue in Pune. And she said that some people were negative, and this is the famous word in our ashram, to be negative, no? to be against him, that you know, you're, you're negative. It's like having, I don't know, cholera. Uh, and so uh, it started with Sheila reporting about some so-called people that were negative and they didn't believe that the, uh, we had not bought the land yet, by the way, that we would not succeed uh, in buying a land. And so that's how it started. And she told him, yes, there are these people, and she mentioned some name, that they are negative and uh, they could... Uh, damage uh, the work back when they are talking behind our back at the castle, that they were creating some uh, 
negativity in the community and they could damage work. And I don't know what I will do for, for you, Bhagwan, but I, and he said, yes, they need to be stopped. And she said, I will do anything for you. I will do anything. I would, of course, I would even kill. She said something in that term. And he stopped and he looked at her and he said, there may be a time that these people will need to be stopped. And she said, yeah, the people that are negative, he said, yeah, but there were other people also. So the conversation changed. And I thought I was in a kind of, I thought like in slow motion. I said two minutes before we were talking to people that, and when he said stopped, I thought that should, could be called, they should, you cannot ruin Bhagwan work. I didn't understood how it came that from stop, that it would be okay killing them. And then he started saying, yes, you know, when there is uh, the work that need to be happen, the people that could destroy the work, they have to be taken care of. Even then I thought, oh, maybe he mean taken care in a different way. And he said, it had to look like an accident. And in front of me, they made a list of people that they thought, yeah, for instance, if so-and-so, if Lakshmi leave, yeah, she could damage your work. Oh, yeah, yes, and this other person, this other person. And so they discussed a um, few people, maybe a little less than a dozen, that if they left, they would have uh, be taken care of, like in an accident or so that they could not damage his work. Part of me thought that I was hallucinating. Part of me, I thought, am I reading correctly? Am I hearing correctly? Are they really thinking of eliminating people, killing people? And I was surprised. I was shocked. I was speechless in a way. When he turned toward me and he said, um, when he was, they were making the list, and, and Diksha asked him almost to put a name down I remember that I, I said, no, I think uh, it's enough. I, and he didn't like that I didn't participate. They look at me little oddly. And I was, you know, I was in shock. Inside me, I, I said, is the list long, not long enough? I, I think I was in shock. Even now that I say it, I remember the, the thing that I can say with all honesty, that I was in shock. I understood that I would, I could be at the list because I, when he put Lakshmi and Vivek, who were as long as me, is even longer than me, or that he had even deeper connection with them, I right away felt, oh, okay. And another occasion where I talked to Sheila, I said, Sheila, you know, the way he has replaced Lakshmi, one day he can replace you and me. And Sheila said, no, no, never, I will never replace. You don't understand, you know. And that's what happened. As soon or later, he, behind Sheila's back, he was talking with somebody else who would give him what Sheila at the time could not give it anymore. So even when he made the list, I really, with absolute certainty, I saw one day I will be on that list if I displease him. It was obvious. I, I don't know even how Sheila could not think that in that moment. But it happened But when she left in an interview with the German TV, she said, you know, she implied that she was afraid for her life. Although at this point she feels she would be under a definite threat if she tries to leave, Diksha begins to consider it seriously. Everything happens quickly and almost simultaneously, as she remembers, and her nights are haunted by her thoughts. Is it possible that in ten years she never really noticed who the man was? It was at the same time that something happened. My boyfriend at the time was working sometime in Rajneesh's room. And uh, one uh, afternoon where he was supposed to go to the room attached to his bedroom to do some fixing something, and the door to his bedroom was open to Rajneesh's bedroom. And he witnessed Rajneesh punching Vivek. And Vivek fell on the floor. He was shocked, my brother. And he came and he told me, and I could not, I, I, I also happened something similar to me at the end of Pune, who I 
had buried. Something happened that I was going to the dining room, meaning the room where he was having lunch. And if I was come and the door, she had gone to his room to get something to show me how he wanted down in the dining room, something. And I heard an argument and in the door, in the door, he hit her. And I thought, I don't know, I, I don't know what I thought. I thought, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know. I thought that I, maybe, you know, I bury it. I felt, oh, you know, like in my uh, fanatic uh, attachment to this man, I justify, you know, maybe she needed, maybe she had done something, maybe punished, maybe something that now I'm ashamed even to talk that I felt that way. Because if, of course, I, you know, I'm a mature woman, I'm an old woman, so I, I, I know enough of the dynamic with men, woman, men and women. And so when my boyfriend told me that, that they, and he was literally shocked, you know, like the piece of the puzzle were starting to be put together. Diksha remembers that day because Vivek rarely failed to show up for lecture. But that time she stayed in the room. And when she reappeared, Diksha noticed a bruise on her temple. Then I realized, wow, so this was not a fluke that I, something happened in the particular day and he hit her. So this is a pattern. And, and of course, Vivek is a perfect case of uh, a better woman, you know, emotionally, physically and psychologically on many levels. And that's why I think she died. She died because she was a batter. There was the concept of being a batter woman. Diksha is in a deep state of confusion. But for the moment, she has to deal with a report that Rajneesh wants about the new place. Rajneesh Puram, a huge tract of empty land in Oregon that is about half an hour's drive from the nearest town, a tiny place with only a handful of mostly elderly inhabitants. Diksha agrees to go on a scouting trip. A particular night after I came back and I saw the land and he asked me what I thought about the land and in a way I lied. I said, oh, it's okay, it's a good piece, it's a big piece of land, it will take a lot of work, but it's big. <laughs> but it's big. Because <laughs> he wanted to be, it's a big, because he wanted a big, so he was emphasized, it's a big, and I said, yeah, it's big, but it will take a lot of work, and there's water now, but there is a river. You know, I could see that I, I was not honest. Diksha, the dragon lady everyone feared, one of his most devoted disciples, one of the pillars of the community, is no longer interested in how big or beautiful the land is. Quite the contrary. A deep disquiet besets her. At this point she has seen and heard too much, and within her the spell has been broken. I connected the dot with what had happened in Bombay and in Pune. So altogether, suddenly, I had a... A kind of uh, a realization, an awakening in a way that what I believe our story to be was maybe not accurate. There was something else beside uh, a teacher that teaches meditation and uh, give us, in a way, a kind of spiritual supervision. All that story that we have been telling ourselves, or he that he also had been emphasizing about his role in our life, and suddenly it appeared differently. By that time, Diksha has heard Rajneesh address some political issues, but always in a, shall we say, intellectual way. Philosophers, leaders, even dictators, all fell under the critical lens of the Guru's analysis and irreverent musings. Until one day, in one of the private meetings, Diksha finds herself listening to something that leaves her speechless. It was after dinner, and it was kind of secret, you know, like usually did. Vivek came and said, Bhagavan, I want to see you tonight. It was uh, 
late because it was dark and he I still remember that he only had a light near his um, chair in the room it was kind of dark and right away the atmosphere in the room was strange that's how I perceive it and he had a different uh, attitude I mean he seemed different and he talked to me almost like um, that he was confiding in me he said uh, what I'm doing, what I'm planning to do, is uh, a revolution. And this is uh, the kind of revolution that uh, has never really have been tried before. And uh, what I'm trying to create is a shift in humanity consciousness. And then, almost right away, he said, uh, Hitler, I tried to do this, and Hitler was a genius. And I remember that I stopped because I thought almost that he had maybe misspoke or that he was, um, I don't know, drunk. I was surprised, and he looked at me and he's serious, and he added, no, no, Hitler was a genius. Hitler had been misunderstood. It had tried to create a shift in humanity, and what he was trying to do was a kind of energetic psychic surgery. He was trying to cut element, uh, a group of people. I mean, I, I, I understood who he meant by that, that he was trying to eliminate uh, the element in human society who were holding humanity back. He used the word parasitic. And I was uh, shocked when he said that because of what I, I know it happened even to my own family during the war. So I, I, was, I was stunned in a way. My brain could not really compute what he was saying. And so I was shocked. And rather way he saw me that I was shocked and rather we said, no, don't worry, don't worry. I know how to use the energy. I will be using the same source of energy that uh, Hitler had uh, tapped in. I also know how to tap that energy. He said it is a dark energy, but it's the most powerful energy in the world. And I, I, I think I still can experience almost in my body the sense of being lost. I felt, am I hearing it correctly? Am I imagining that he's saying that? During this conversation, when he saw me uh, being a little lost, being from my expression, I think, he was sitting and he, he pulled me toward him in a, in a kind of hug, saying, don't worry, I know how to use this energy. And, and usually I would have felt comforted. And my inner voice was saying, don't move in a way, don't, my inner voice will say, don't show him how you really feel. I realized that I needed to almost hide. And I was looking inside me for a protection against this energy that he was describing, like that dark energy that, you know, that I was afraid that to be almost contaminated by this energy. Maybe the word energy is not even right because he even said the word force. There's no force as powerful. He repeated a few times. And I think when he was saying, in my, I could be wrong, but he was almost trying to reassure me. You know, I felt that this is a, a you know, is a force. It's, it's one of the stronger force of the universe. And I will be able to use the energy. He said that it'll fail because the German people didn't follow him through the end. But this will not happen to me because my sannyasi will follow me through the end and I will succeed. And I remember that my inner voice said, with not me, <laughs> without me, <laughs> you will succeed. I, yeah. And then he said, one, you know, uh, one day I will rule the world. Are you all right? I don't know if you feel now as I did when Diksha first told me this story, speechless, unable to even articulate a comment, kind of like her, who is stunned and incredulous at what she is hearing. She's petrified and frightened, 
and as Rajneesh continues to talk to her about his plans, she seeks refuge within herself. And I think that's where I heard my inner voice. And I felt protected by my inner voice, by something inside me that came into that room and in a way protected me. So even when he hugged me that I felt, uh, like I said in the past, you know, if you if you bug and touch your third eyes or you always feel blessed by this energy. But that time I perceived his energy really as a, as it was, as it was. I, I could see it for the first time that this man is not what I thought. But I also felt that he made himself available as a conduit for this energy, who was extremely powerful. I could feel almost the density, the strength of his energy. But it was not a benevolent energy. He did say, it is a dark energy. So it's not that he, he, he himself said that. I think it's the energy of power, in a way. That's what everybody said. There's no energy as powerful as this energy. So I, I was afraid. In that moment, I got really afraid. To be honest, I think what I was afraid is that the energy will swallow me, that, the, that I would be swallowed. I was not afraid to be seduced. Like sometimes people say that if you are confronted with the devil, in a way, I'm using words that are not mine, they are just label. No, I never find that energy was so <laughs> repulsive of that energy. Never in my life, I never. So, no, I was not afraid, afraid to be seduced. I was afraid to be swallowed. I was afraid that it was like a black hole, like when you say, don't worry, I know to use the energy. One thing I felt, that the energy was an energy that is voracious, you know, an energy that chew people up. And then in, I realized, in, as he was talking, that he was delusionary, that whatever he meant by that energy, by that force, it was delusionary. It didn't, it didn't succeed, and he would not succeed. And he said that one day I will be the one behind, I will be behind the President of the United States. One day I will rule the world. And so, you know, as much as I was uh, taken by him, I was not that uh, delusional to believe that. I saw it that one day he would go to jail and I didn't want to. As he was talking to me, as was trying almost to sell me this energy and this kind of path that clearly he and Sheila were stepping on it, I felt offended, humiliated, because I felt I'm not an angel. I have used power in my life, sometimes in job, I like to be in charge, but I felt he thought that I would go for it. And, and there was a part of me that really felt really kind of offended and even hurt. When I left the room, I remember I was walking down the corner. I was saying, you have to look at yourself. You have to clean yourself in a way, clean your own energy, your mentality, your own uh, um, way of thinking, where you have yourself indulged in power because it is a small step. One step follow another, and then suddenly you find yourself really in front of doing things that are wrong. I had a moment of sobering realization, saying to myself, you, you have to clean your own house of any element that in a way are the weak point in one's own personality, in one's own character, who make oneself become corrupt. This I do remember that I really felt. Who knows if he gave this same talk to Sheila? Surely yes. But right now it is Diksha who is struggling with delusional arguments. In the following days, as she thinks back to the other things Rajneesh said in those weeks, it occurs to her that this was not the first time he used the expression I will rule the world. There was a couple of times when he started talking 
about the fact that one day he will rule the world. Sheila said that, uh, I think it was uh, something that she said to flatter him. So maybe in the American government, uh, there's maybe somebody that they could invite him to meet Bhagwan, to know what, what Bhagwan had arrived in the state. And she said, oh, you know, we find out that maybe, I, I don't know if it's true, that there's a senator that was interested in Bhagwan. And that's in the same evening that he told me the story that Chile told him, and that he said uh, that he had watched some movie and uh, news, and he said, now I understand America. And I almost laughed, actually, because I thought he was making a joke, you know. He said I, and now I, that he had watched the news, and now he understands. He said that, that soon, you know, that uh, Sheila said that there would be maybe politician who would like to meet me. And that, uh, and then he paused and he said, one day I will be the power behind the American president. And then he's, again, he paused and he said, uh, yeah, one day I will rule the world. And in that moment, I thought, you know, that like really that uh, it was uh, megalomaniac. Too many things have happened all at once. Or rather, finally, they all appear together. Now Diksha has only one thing on her mind, to leave. But this time, she has to find the right words to say it to Rajnij, because she has already tried to bring it up, but he has always dismissed it, telling her that this is just a crisis. Above all, since she knows him well, she must try to counter his manipulative skills and prevent him from somehow managing to hold her back. I decided to go and see him during the day. I didn't want to go during the night. The energy was different during the night. There was always secretary. I wanted to see him during the day because for some reason, maybe I'm imagining, but the whole atmosphere in his room at night when it was dark and everybody was already asleep was a kind of disturbing and not only disturbing, but in a way maybe psychologically manipulative. And I had promised myself that I would not look into his eyes because he had a way that he would overpower. Sometimes I would wanted to say something and then I would say what he wanted me to say. And often during the small conversation, he would say, open your eyes, open your eyes. But I, I managed to close my eyes long enough to tell him that there was time for me to leave, that I was grateful for the years, but I needed a, you know, a break, that I worked so hard. And I had difficulty with my kidney at the time because I, you know, after 10 years in India, I had amoeba in India, I had Jardia, I had, you know, you caught all kinds of bugs. Dengue fever I had, had and so and he said no and it is at the time that he told me no you don't need a break you need a breakthrough you are near you know like enlightenment and that's at the time that he hugged me you know that he hugged me and I felt repulsed by his energy I felt that it was just a show in a way he wanted you know at the time I was important enough that me leaving would have become a disturbance. He told me that uh, not to be afraid and because I told him that I also, why you want to leave? And I said, I, I think this is a very difficult enterprise. I really said, I, I can't. I cannot walk on this path uh, with you and Sheila. Uh, I can't. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you for all the year that, you know, uh, thank you. I said, thank you. I, I say that I was grateful, but it was time for me to go. And I, I managed to say it with enough uh, strength uh, that he paused. And he said, okay, maybe it's good. Maybe you, you go for a little while and then come back. And he said, but I'd like you to go to the ranch. The ranch had been bought. I already had gone for Chila. The first team of worker had started working at the ranch and uh, he said, but I, I think it's better for you to go to the new place and wait for me. 
You don't have to work, you just have to observe. Rajneesh believes in his own way that he can reassure Diksha. He tells her that she's just stressed and needs some rest. So, he suggests that she takes a break. In fact, he gives her a break. He asks her first, however, to go to Rajnishpuram to wait for him. To go there and check on Sheila's work and take it easy for a while. And then they will talk about it once he moves to the ranch. The guru, in essence, stalls. In my defense, I remember very well that when I went out of the room, I could not leave. I had decided to leave it the next day, and having made him the promise, when he asked me, looking to my house, will you promise, Diksha, will you go to the ranch? Wait for me. I will make changes. I know, don't worry. I know Sheila is abusing her power, but I need her now. And I, I know, it's like I, may, I could not leave. I, I, I decide, okay, it's the last thing I do for him. Diksha walks out of Rajneesh's room with half a victory. She has felt too many things in the last few weeks. Her need to leave becomes an urgency. But she has made a promise and now she has to go to Rajneeshpuram. You've been listening to Dragon Lady, a podcast written and curated by Roberta Lippi with Valeria Ardito's sound design. The international voice of Roberta Lippi is Cecilia Gragnani. Dragon Lady is available on storielibere.fm and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll be waiting for you on the next episode. Storie Libere Production by Gianandrea Cerone and Rossana De Michele. Post and sound design era zero.